Well, today we are in week three of a series called On Mission. As a church, we have a mission, and it is the most important mission in the world. We're telling the world about the life-changing, life-giving message of Jesus Christ and leading them as they walk out their faith in Him. Here at The Gathering, we exist to lead people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. It's a pathway all over Scripture that God intends for each and every one of us to walk. And as a church, we are leading as many people down that path as God gives us the opportunity to because that is what we were put on this earth to do. We've talked about how we can know God and how we can find freedom and how once we've done those things, we can get on mission to lead others to do them. And that brings us to this week's topic, Discover Purpose. You have a purpose. And it's not something that you happen into by accident. It's not some mystery out there in the universe. It is something that was put there intentionally. It didn't happen on accident because you are not an accident. You have a purpose. You were created by a loving God and he has dreams for you that are bigger than anything you could ever imagine. From the time you were small, you began to ask the question, why am I here? I've got young children and any parent raising young children knows that young children are filled with questions. They're asking questions all the time. They're trying to understand everything about the world around them, about themselves, about the way that things work and about their place in all of this. And at the root uh, and at the beginning of almost every question that my sweet daughters ask me is one word, why? 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 I hear it in my sleep at night. Why? Because from the moment that we are born, we begin to try to understand why we were born. It's written into us. Maybe you, like me, have searched high and low for the answer to that question. I joined the Coast Guard when I was 19 years old because I was looking for purpose I was looking for meaning. I was looking for a place that I would belong. And I didn't find it there. And that ate me up inside. Maybe your empty search for purpose has eaten you up inside as well. When I didn't find it there, I looked anywhere else that I could. I partied because maybe the purpose of life was just to have fun. But that left me feeling emptier than ever. I poured myself into the approval of others because maybe life was about being liked by people, wanted by people. That didn't work either. My endless search left me feeling the way that Solomon felt 3,000 years ago after he had all the people and the power and the riches that man can get. And he wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. It's your encouraging Bible verse for the morning. One day, I had been feeling this way for a long time, and one day I had a conversation that changed my life forever. My wife, long before we dated, or she would even consider it, said to me, John Mark, you are looking for happiness and purpose 
in all the wrong places. You're only going to find what you are looking for in a relationship with Jesus. And that led me here. Your purpose isn't wrapped up in people or power or money or anything else. Your purpose was placed there by God and for God. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have a purpose in this life. And it is to glorify God and to serve others and to do so the way that God designed you specifically and uniquely you to do it. And in order to discover that purpose, there are a couple of prerequisites. And so here are some prerequisites to purpose. The first is this. You need to know God in order to know why you are here. Now, if you want my full thoughts on this, refer back to the first message in this series. Uh, You were made to know God. And so your purpose is all wrapped up in you knowing God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. By him and for him. Who you are and who you were meant to be is wrapped up in who he is. The good thing is that in order for us to know God, all the hard work has been done for us by Jesus. He paid for your salvation with his life. He took the punishment owed to you upon himself so that you could know God. And he resurrected from the grave and lives today so that you can live forever in the presence of God. Thanks be to God. That's good news. And this is so important for discovering your purpose because... Your purpose is not just reliant on you. It's also reliant on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. Uh, Your purpose is a combination of the gifts you were born with and the gifts you were born again with. Born again is some Christianese. That's some Christian language. If you uh, grew up in the South like I did. Somebody at some point has asked you, hey, brother, are you born again? Have you been born again, my, my brother? And we know this language, but this language isn't just some Southern Christian colloquialism. This actually comes from the Bible. This is a story uh, in John chapter 3 where Jesus is having a conversation with a Pharisee. And in this conversation that he's having, we actually get John three sixteen for God so loved the world. It is the, the Bible verse you might see at a football game, but Uh, John uh, chapter 3 tells this story of Jesus explaining that if you want to truly have life in him, you have to be born again. Uh, 
Jesus was explaining that when we follow him, the Holy Spirit makes us a new creation and changes who we are as he dwells within us. He gives us new gifts that connect with who we already are, who we were born to be, because you were designed to be who you are. But with the Holy Spirit inside of you, completing that design. That's why we spend all of our lives before Christ trying to fill this gap in our soul. Everyone you know who is not in a relationship with Jesus is constantly searching. You can see it laid out in the evidence of their lives, the way that they move through life, the things that they pursue, the the wants and the desires and the needs that you see evident in the way that we all live before we know Christ. It's all just out of a desire to fill a gap that is there because you were made to have the spirit of the living God inside of you. And until you have that completion of the Holy Spirit living within you, there is an emptiness inside of you that you will never stop trying to fill. Paul talks about the gifts that the Holy Spirit bestows upon us throughout his writings. But look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul says all of this to reiterate that the power of the Holy Spirit works through us as individuals, but we were made to use our gifts alongside one another. I'm going to have different gifts than you do, but we are designed that way so that our common purpose in life can align to accomplish God's purpose for this world. My gifts aren't better than your gifts. Your gifts aren't better than my gifts. We are different parts of the same body. None of us is the head of that body. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the body. And we are all just different parts being used as the body of Christ. While all of us have different expressions of this purpose, we all have the same purpose. Discovering your purpose is not about finding a different meaning of life than the person seated next to you. Simpler than that. Because we all have the same purpose, just worked out in different ways. Our purpose is this, to glorify God and serve others. It is written all through the pages of Scripture. Your purpose, the meaning of life, if you came here looking for it today, good news. It is to glorify God and serve others. Every single one of us was made to do this, but we were made to do this in different ways, varieties of ways that all work best when we work together. This passage goes on. Look in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between the Spirits, we call that discernment, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by 
by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God designs us all very differently with a wide variety of gifts, each of us stronger in a different area than the person who is seated next to us, but we are all designed to serve the same Spirit, the same purpose, and the same mission in Jesus' name. You have some of these gifts that Paul lists out here. And others of these gifts are waiting for you to unlock by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. It is all part of this incredible journey we start on when we say yes to following Jesus. This is why it is crucial for us to know God in order to discover our purpose. Your purpose won't lead you to God. God will lead you to your purpose. So the first prerequisite. The first prerequisite, marriage. The first prerequisite is to know God. Number two is this: find freedom. Find freedom. If you want to discover your purpose, you have to find freedom. Now, if you want my expanded thoughts on finding freedom, refer to last week's message. If there is a pathway laid out before us that God paved for our lives. We all love to take the side trips and the detours and the small trails, don't we? We we love to wind our way through life, just kind of figuring it out as we go. If there is a path that God paved out to us, we haven't been on it very much, have we? Proverbs says in Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So many of our choices in life, they just end up blinding us to God's purpose for us. Our sin, our habits, our hang-ups, our hurts, they all get in the way of becoming the person, the part of the body that we were made to be. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 19 is one of the passages where we pull this pathway from. Know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. I, I believe that we see this pathway in parts and pieces throughout Scripture, and that there's seven different passages that show it in its entirety. This is one of them. Look at verse 17. Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, that you may know God. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And this is where we get this idea of finding freedom. Because the reality is, when we are wrapped up in sin and shame, we cannot see the dreams that God has for us. It's like we're blinded to it. Our sin, our shame, the the things that we get all wrapped up and bound around our hearts also bind our eyes. Our purpose is discovered through our heart, through the Spirit's work within us, but that is hard to see when all I can see is the sin and the shame that blinds me each and every day. And so the prayer that Paul prays is that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened, that we would find freedom, so that when we find freedom, it's like the lights turn on and now we can see. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy 
people. My prayer, Paul says, is that your, the eyes of your heart may be opened so that you can see the purpose that God has designed for you. So that you can discover the purpose he's given you in your life. So that you can understand how good it truly is to live your life in Jesus' name. You've got to commit to the work of finding freedom so that you can discover your purpose. And let me say this. If you're in here and you're stuck in this lie that there is no purpose left for you because of the trouble, because of the hurt, because of the sin that is behind you or even all around you, he is not done with you yet. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. He's not done with you yet. I don't care how many second chances you've already had, there is another one waiting for you in Jesus' name. He is not done with you yet. If you are still breathing, you still have purpose to discover. Finding freedom is our pathway to discovering that purpose. So you've got to know God, you've got to find freedom, and then you've got to know yourself. You've got to know yourself. Because the design that God placed in you to be worked out in his kingdom was placed in you in the very beginning. And so you've got to be able to unwrap it, un be able to untangle it, be able to see it, begin to really know yourself before you would ever begin to understand the purpose that God created you with. The thesis statement of Socrates' philosophy was know thyself, know yourself. I like that we always say know thyself in that quote, but Socrates did not speak Old English. And so we could just say know yourself. Anyways, this is crucial advice. If you want to be able to hear from God, about your purpose. Let me explain. God made you. He designed you. You are not an accident. You didn't happen by chance. Who you are, what makes you you, the things that make your eyes light up, the things you've always been good at, the, the passions that you want to pursue, the things that excite you, these things were designed within you by a creative designer. Now, there are other factors that make you who you are. Life, trauma, conditioning, all of them, they feed into the things that make you who you are. But the core of who you are, what, what you have in you from the beginning, was placed there by the one who made you. What life brings out of you, the way that you respond and grow through it, all the things you're passionate about, the things you love, the things that make you feel alive are part of that design. It's possible for all of those things to get warped through our pain, warped through trauma, uh, put into the wrong position through a life of pursuing the wrong things. And that's where finding freedom comes in handy because finding freedom is where we begin to untangle all of that. In fact, you may need to take some time in finding freedom. You may need help in finding freedom from a friend, from a pastor, from a counselor. You may need to unwrap some of these things so that you can begin to know who you really are. It's possible that some of the things that God placed in you for your purpose have been changed from passions to idols. 
And all of that is stuff you're going to have to sort through as you grow as a person and as a follower of Jesus. But the bottom line is that you were created the way you were created because God has a dream in mind for you. Ephesians 2.10 again says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the second translation I've read of that today. If you were trying to figure out what happened there, there's many different translations of the Bible. And the original text is in Greek. And that word handiwork in Greek is translated a number of different ways. Workmanship is how it was translated in the first version I read. This says handiwork. Another way you could read that word is masterpiece. And I really like the term masterpiece for this passage in Ephesians because I believe it aligns with how Genesis and beyond describe where you fit into the creative works of God. I believe that of all the incredible, beautiful, creative things that God put into place, that you are his masterpiece. In order to know your purpose... You need to know all these things about yourself that are relevant to your design. David wrote in Psalm 139, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Take some time. To get to a space in your life where you can pray this psalm and mean it. Where you can know yourself well enough to say that I see how God built me. And I know that his works are wonderful. I know it full well. Take inventory. Sort out the good in your passions from the things you may have shaped them into. For example, if you've made an idol out of pleasing people. Maybe there is a design in your heart to serve others and to see people experience happiness even at great loss to yourself. But you've got to learn how to shift your understanding of that before you burn yourself out worrying about the opinions of others. It's all part of the journey. Learn who you are and you'll learn why you are and who you are and then you can turn it all over to be used By God. We have to know God. We have to find freedom. We have to know ourselves, all of these things, so that we can begin to discover our purpose. And once we've gone through this journey and we begin to discover our purpose, we begin to fully grasp and understand the way that I was made and the things that I'm good at and how they can be put into place glorifying God and serving others, then here's what we do with it. Once you've discovered your purpose, serve God. Because serving God is what you were created to do. You were made for Him. I have heard over and over this reason for running from God, and it's this idea that we want to live our own lives and be our own people, and we want to do what makes us happy and not live subservient to some distant God in outer space who just wants mindless servants. And if you feel that way or have felt that way, there's something you need to understand. He is the creator, the author of all things. He made you. He designed you. He wrote you into being. Which means that he knows and he alone knows what really makes you happy. What really fulfills you. 
what brings you actual joy. He and He alone gets to decide that because He and He alone put you together. Using your gifts and your passions and your very life to serve Him is what brings you satisfaction because that is what He made you to experience. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling us not to worry about life, but rather to just get our priorities right, to understand these things. He puts it this way in Matthew 6, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, And all these things will be added to you. You see, Jesus worked hard to help people understand that we were made to serve God and serve others. And once we begin to understand that and align our lives around that, all these other things that we worry about will begin to fall into place. A peace will fall into your heart that the Bible says surpasses understanding. Nobody gets because of the alignment that you have in your life that is correct. Seek Him first. Serve Him first. And all this you've been looking for is going to come into focus. At the end of Ecclesiastes, which we opened with, Solomon says this after searching high and low for the meaning of life. Now Solomon's search was more comprehensive than most of us would ever be able to search because Solomon, all those many years ago, was one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful kings in the whole world. Solomon was the richest king in the world, it's, it's agreed on. Solomon was, said, the Bible says, the wisest man who ever lived because he asked God for wisdom and God grants richly. And so he, he was the wisest man that ever lived. Solomon's marital life was very interesting. He had, I think, around 700 wives. You have to assume at least one of them was a healthy marriage. And so Solomon had looked everywhere that he could in people, in power, in riches, in order to find the meaning of life. But if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it is the most emo book in the entire Bible. It is devastating. Over and over again, for 11 chapters, this man who had everything keeps repeating the refrain, everything is meaningless. If you've been down and you need a pick-me-up, pick a different book. Everything is meaningless. And Solomon, after an entire lifetime of searching, comes to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, and he says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Solomon says, I've looked everywhere, high and low. I've tried everything. I've searched everywhere. I've tried to fill up my heart with anything that I could, and I've had the better means to do it than any of you. And here's what I've decided. This life is about serving God. Serve God. Now here's a practical step on what that means. Number two, serve others. The way that we serve God is by serving others. This is the message of Jesus. He showed us that by serving those around us, both Deserving of it and undeserving of it, we serve God. Paul said it this way in Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord 
and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. One of our core values as a church is serving is our calling. We talked about this with the dream team this morning. We say it that way because we believe serving isn't just a task that we do on Sundays, but rather it is a way that we orient our lives. That in order for us to understand serving as a calling, we have to understand that serving is the place where we find our peace, our satisfaction, our joy, and our meaning in this life. That when I have a lifestyle of serving others, only then will I have the kind of satisfaction that I've been looking for. And only then will I be living the way that I've been called and created to live. Jesus said over and over and over again, that his followers were called to be servants of others. In Mark 10, 44, it says he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. In fact, the Jewish people, when Jesus showed up, were pretty good at understanding that God was above all things. They served God, but they did it through a system of sacrifices. One of the main teachings of Jesus that is central to most of the messages that he would preach was around this idea that we had missed the mark, that it's not just about sacrifices to God, but that the way that we honor God, the way that we show our devotion to God, the way that we show love to God is by serving the thing that he cares about the most, by serving the thing that he created, his people. The crux of the message of Jesus is to serve others, to put others above yourself, to serve others. If you want to serve me well, love my children well. Because you can say nice things to me, you can demonstrate kindness to me, and it will mean something. But when somebody comes around and they make my children feel special, they value my children, they show love to my children, those people get a very special place in my heart. It is the same in our relationship with God. We love his children, and by doing so, we love him. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the lifestyle you were created to live. This is the culture you were meant to carry. This is the person you were designed to be. Somebody who puts others first. Your flesh tells you to do the opposite. Serve yourself. Look out for number one. Do whatever feels good to you. Make sure that your needs are cared for before the needs of others. Prioritize yourself. Put on your oxygen mask first. Actually, if you're in an airplane, you do need to follow that instruction. That's important. Everything else, you know, others first. This is the mantra that we hear over and over and over again. Look out for number one. But all of Scripture tells us the opposite. And when we live the way that we want to, serving me, we end up feeling empty. But when we live the way the scriptures say we have, we should, we have deep satisfaction that we can hardly explain to others. This has actually been explained recently in secular sociology. 
And so Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you probably are familiar with this. We learned it in high school when I was growing up in South Carolina. And if they were teaching it in South Carolina, I know all y'all heard it, unless you're from Mississippi. And so <laughs> we were 49, they were 50. We were always grateful for them. Um, I'm sorry if you're from Mississippi. Anyways, the hierarchy of needs is Maslow's way of explaining all of human behavior. All of human behavior is being driven by these needs that we have as people. And at the top of this pyramid, what Maslow believed was the number one need that all people have that drives the way that they act is self-actualization. It's what I've been saying, that all of us have a need to truly know ourselves, to know who we are and why we are and all of these things. It's this need for self-actualization that we're driven towards. Well, that was a long time ago, back, back when Abraham Maslow came up with this. Everybody agreed and said, that's right, that's the hierarchy of needs. It's been taught for years and years. But in recent years, after another 70, 80 years of understanding human behavior, sociologists, secular sociologists, have adjusted the hierarchy of needs. You can Google this. There is a new hierarchy of needs. And self-actualization is now the second from the top. The top of that pyramid is transcendence. You see, what they discovered was that it was never enough for me to just know myself. But I actually, if I know myself, I have one more need on top of that, and that is to use what I know to serve someone else. I need to put what I know about me into practice for a greater good. The need to serve a greater good is the top of the hierarchy of needs. Social, socio, these people, these scientists, sociologists have just put into writing and explained and caught up with what Jesus was trying to teach us 2,000 years ago. When we serve others, we find a greater purpose and completion in our hearts. You were made to serve God and to serve others. Discovering your purpose isn't about discovering what that purpose is, because it is the same for everyone in this room, to serve God and to serve others. Discovering your purpose is about discovering the way that God created you, specifically you, to do it. Finally, one more practical thing that I would add in there that we could do today that would help us to live this out, and that's to join the dream team. You knew it was coming the whole time. This is your starting point. We are a church on mission to reach a city in need. We have a mission to do. And the way that we reach our city isn't just through what we do here on Sunday morning. You need to hear me explain this. That, that I'm not telling you that all of this leads to you serving on the dream team. No. I believe that that is a sign that all of this is being worked out in your life. Because when I really begin to understand my purpose in this life, it affects how I interact everywhere. My marriage is changed once I know that I was created to serve God and serve others. Because instead of my marriage always being about me and, and what I want and what, 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 what helps me the most, or I didn't want to do that today, or, or how come they never think about me, my marriage gets a lot healthier when I know my purpose is about serving others and I begin to serve her. You want some good relationship advice today? It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in all things consider others better than yourselves. You start serving your wife or your husband 
like, like they're more important to you than yourself, your marriage will get better. And the whole purpose of Ephesians chapter 5 is the marriage passage. If you've never read it, read it. But it opens with this idea that we submit to each other in a submission competition, serving one another the way that Christ served the church. When I serve others as a way of life, my friendships get better. When my friendships aren't all about me, more people like hanging out about, around me. Go figure. When I serve others as a way of life, my relationships at work improve. In fact, who I am as an employee and the way that I'm able to do whatever job it is that I do gets better when I begin to understand that my purpose is to serve God and serve others. And when I begin to know myself and understand the way that I was made, all of that improves. My neighbors and the way that I interact with them changes when I know that I was created to serve God and serve others. And so what happens is, as you discover your purpose, every single part of your your life is touched by and moved by that purpose. Everything around you gets a lift because you will start to see the effects of your life being lived the way it was designed to be lived. When we begin to serve others, we don't just come alive. Those around us begin to come alive. And here's what we do next. We invite those people into the mission of the church. When Jesus was crafting together a plan to save the world, the church was a part of that. See, he was always going to bring us salvation through his sacrifice. He was always going to bring us life through his resurrection. But through the teaching and the development of these 12 disciples, he gave us the church. And this church, when all of these people are able to come together and work together and be used together, and when those gifts interlock with one another, this church has the opportunity to be a powerful force for good and for change in the city around us. When we do those things, when we live this way and we do it together as the local church, we become an unstoppable force for God's will in our city. Jesus is talking to Peter, who would be one of the leaders of the church after he ascended. And he's asking all his disciples who they are. And Peter says who he is. He says, you are the son of God, the Messiah, who's come to deliver us. And Jesus looks at him and he says, your name is Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not prevail against it. And so when I say join the dream team, I'm just asking you, after you've discovered your purpose or as you discover your purpose, while you work out your purpose, be a part of one of the ways that God intended that purpose to serve the community around you. As Jesus is ascending into heaven, he says this commission to us, go and make disciples of all the nations. We do that in our homes, through the church, through small groups, through the community that we build, through the way that we get to interact with one another on a Sunday morning, through inviting by our lives beginning to change and people wondering how they can be a part of that. And we say, well, let me just bring you to church. Come and see what it's all about when you're around the body of Christ and how that feels for you. And people will come and as they come, they'll start to experience someone in their purpose out there on the road before they even get into the parking lot. This morning it was in the single, y'all, I mean, I think it had just hit 10 degrees. So we were praising double digits. And I saw one of our parking lot greeters out there, Kate, just dancing. And I think she was dancing in order to stave off frostbite. But if you know her, you also know that she was filled with joy and understanding of who God made her to be. 
And when somebody comes into this space with a wall built up around them, that wall has already been weakened. The mortar has started to slip by the way that you served them before they got here. And when they get into the parking lot and they see somebody like that who makes them feel wanted and welcome and seen before they get out of their car, a brick falls out. And then they get out of their car and somebody's already talking to them, happy that they're here, making them feel wanted, and another brick falls out. And then they come up to the door and somebody looks them dead in the eyes and maybe for the first time in their life lets them know that they are wanted and welcome and seen here in this church. I'm so glad you're here today. Another brick falls out. They take their kids up to kids' ministry, and in kids' ministry, they feel safe. They know their kids are going to have fun. Somebody makes them feel valued and important, and those kids are able to receive the gospel in a way that connects with their hearts so that you can come in here and receive the gospel in a way that connects with your heart, and more bricks fall out. And they go to get coffee, and somebody talks to them and interacts with them and hands them a warm cup, and more bricks fall out. You see, I can present the gospel in so many different ways from up here on stage. It does not work unless the dream team, unless we have all worked together to tear down those walls before they come into this space. It's not just me. It's not just the worship team that you see. It's all of us working together as the body of Christ, as this dream team, in order to fulfill the mission of Christ, in order to fulfill the purpose of Christ so that together we can glorify glorify God and serve others and be a dramatic a dramatic force for good in our city for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ and in Jesus name that's why you should join the dream team to be a part of what God is doing here as you work out your faith as you work out your purpose in this life i just i'm 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 sure that i'm partial but i couldn't think of a better way to do it if you're in here today and uh, you are really just on that first prerequisite, you need to know God. Oh, you've been on a search for meaning all your life and you want more and you want to know him more. You, you want to know yourself more. Let it begin right there. Just today, wherever you are, you can know him. So every head bowed, every eye closed, it begins with a conversation like every relationship does. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. I know that I need you. And so all that I am, I am yours. From this day on, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.